Before we get started, you should probably know that the following podcast contains strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Also, it will almost certainly contain spoilers. And welcome to Minisode 121 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart. Hi, hi, hi. How you doing? Uh, I'm okay, man. And how are you? Long time no speak. It's been somewhere in the region of 11 hours. Yeah, so for date stamp purposes, we're coming at you around about 11 o'clock this morning, Sunday. Uh, so it's sailing close to the wind, but that's fine because in the kind of like lead story of my week, I've got nowhere to be because I'm self-isolating. <laughs> Yay! Congratulations. It does appear, though, certainly in the early stages so of your isolation, that you have dodged the COVID bullet. It does seem that way. Yeah. So I am. Uh, my freedom date apparently is midnight on Thursday into Friday. Yeah, yeah. And I just want to give a huge shout out to your flatmate Dan uh, and his wife Tara because they. Uh, we're freshly out of isolation, and uh, you have put them back in. Yes, having returned from America, they um, just were getting to the end of one and had to start again, which was unfortunate. But they've uh, they've taken it like champs. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like reasonably far into the process at this point, mm-hmm. um, and I, I certainly seem to be fine. So yeah, I'm not too concerned about it. Feeling okay. Um, have however made loads of time to watch stuff because of this i have a mountain of things to talk about so you should probably go first also can i just preface this by saying a big happy birthday to nathan your son yesterday yeah yeah it was uh, it was quite the day sounded like it was a good one for him though i'm sure i'm, I'm sure he had a ball i'm sure he had an absolute way over time <laughs> Excellent, good. Um, so before I dig into the mountain of stuff that I have been watching on the Glasgow Southside Isolation Station, uh, what have you been watching this week? Well, uh, our pals over at Shudder furnished us with a screener link to Scare Me. Now, I like the look of this. Um, mm. uh, I've dug it up for the streaming platforms, which we'll get to, but I really like the sound of this. Coming to Shudder on Thursday, isn't it? Yeah, I haven't had a chance to check out the link yet, but you have then. I have, yeah, I watched it this morning. Okay, you want to talk a little bit about what it's about and what you thought? Absolutely. So this is a story of a struggling writer called Fred uh, who decides he's going to head up to the mountains, the Catskill Mountains, to do a little bit of writing and kind of try to break through this deadlock on this first kind of novel that he's trying to put together. Um, while he's out on a run, he bumps into a woman called called Fanny. Okay. <laughs> I'm such a child. You sure are. <laughs> who is already an established, vaguely famous horror author. Okay. The area where they're staying is kind of beset by storms and power cuts that night, so the two of them uh, wind up in a cabin together, and to pass the time, what they decide to do is tell each other scary stories in an attempt to scare each other, hence the title. Now, like I say, this, obviously, a lot of things about this appeals to me. The fact that they're telling each other different stories gives this the feel, on paper at least, of an anthology of sorts. Also, it's all set in one location. In terms of, like, the Mitch tick boxes, this in theory at least, is checking a lot of them. What did you think? Well, it is, you're right, Mitch, it is this really dialogue-heavy chamber piece. And I guess, in a way, there is a kind of flavour of an anthology to it because they are telling these, to an extent, self-contained stories, but what they're actually... It's not just as simple as two people sitting opposite each other telling each other stories because they're acting the stories out as they go. Um, By the way, both kind of lead actors 
Josh Rubin, who's also the writer and director, okay. and Aya Cash are really, really strong in this. Like They're giving it their all, and there are moments where it's really quite funny, and the sound design's actually really great, because a lot of the stories that they're telling, some of the sound design they're doing with their own mouths and stuff, which is quite cool, but uh, a lot of the sound mm-hmm. design is kind of overlaid over what they're doing, like as if it was real world. Oh, that's cool. Okay, yeah. Um, so I, I, I had about a, a lot of fun with that. What I will say, though, is right, this film's an hour and 45 minutes long, right? Which doesn't seem a long time, right? Mm-hmm. It does in the case of Scare Me. Right, okay. Like I say, it's funny, it's interesting, and it's a cool conceit, but I don't feel like the conceit can carry this runtime. Okay. It runs out of steam way, way, way before it gets anywhere near the end, which actually starts to then lean pretty heavily into horror. Okay. Like, do you think that it recovers for the ending, or does it never really bounce back when the momentum starts to faller? Actually, no, I don't. Um, I feel like by the time you get to the end, it's kind of the last... 10 or 15 minutes when things start to get a bit more horror-y. I think that the, the tanks run dry by the time it gets to that point. And I actually think that the tanks run dry maybe by the 40-odd 50-minute mark because they introduce another character briefly into the into this kind of group dynamic. Uh, and mm-hmm. it's fun in the short term, but again, it just feels a bit... I mean, this guy... What it does do is yep. it plays kind of interestingly with Fred's insecurities as a man and as a kind of struggling writer when faced with this woman who is far more successful than him. That stuff's quite cool towards the end. But um, I think it could have done with at least 20 minutes excised from it. Keep the ending because mm-hmm. the okay. ending's interesting, I suppose, where it goes. But there's a lot of fat in here. And I really think that the interest and the originality of what it's trying to do can't bear out that runtime. Okay, that's a pity. I probably will try and get around to this anyway. So that's Scare Me and that's coming to Shadow this Thursday. Do you have anything else that you watched on your own or should we talk about the thing that we watched last night? Well, I've watched loads of stuff on my own this week. I've been firing through stuff. Like uh-huh. I've been telling you, the blow-by-blows of everything I'm watching. I went through the Saw films again this week. What the fuck was that all about? Oh, so why did you do that? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, your decisions are your own on that one. Maybe you were inspired by the conversation we had with uh, Philip and Chloe a couple of weeks back. That might be very well the case, Mitch. But I've already watched the entire Saw franchise once since we've been doing this show yeah i mean yeah i don't think there's a great call to have done that again Mm. uh i mean you know how variable the quality is anything else notable anything newer or anything that you want to kind of zero in on not particularly i know you've got something that's a little bit newer that you were very much taken with yeah um i actually i've managed to watch a few things this week on the subject of making uh revisits to disappointing entries and franchises i also watched saw the final chapter weirdly this week which i still hate Mm. um and for the first time i watched freddy versus jason which i also don't really want to dwell on because i really didn't like it at all yeah i saw freddy versus jason three times in the cinema with different friend groups and I never liked it once. In fact, I'm willing to say that I think it's the weakest entry in either franchise. Mm, it's probably the worst one that I've seen. Obviously, I haven't seen them all, but like I would say that it's it's up there for me, certainly. But yeah, I did have some better luck. One thing quickly, though, I did watch The Super on Netflix, which uh, has kind of, for some reason, I've had kind of one eye on for a while. It's about this guy who takes over as a superintendent in an apartment building in New York where tenants keep disappearing. Mm-hmm. We know that they're getting murdered by like an unseen entity. Okay. And uh, basically, it's just that escalating throughout until we kind of get to the end. You, like you, Because it's kind of unseen and you get this kind of feel that there's a supernatural thing going on. Uh, Val Kilmer is in this. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. What, what, um, what era Val Kilmer are we talking here? This is 2017, I believe. Right. Okay. So definitely later stages. Um, but yeah, he's kind of taken on quite a lot of kind of indie but fairly mediocre genre stuff over the last few years. Because I think the other thing yeah. that sticks out in my mind is Twixt. Uh-huh. It's quite cool to see him doing something that's so far removed from what you know about him. 
Sure, yeah. But that is about the only real novelty that's going on here. The ending's really unsatisfying. It's not particularly engaging. I just, I saw it, I kind of was like, oh, you know, it's all set in one building. I need to stop doing that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, it didn't do a massive amount for me. So that was the super. Also, uh, nipped onto the Arrow video channel. You'll be pleased with this one. And uh, and watched The Burning for the first time. Ah, lovely. That's one of my favourite slasher films of all time. Certainly one of my uh, favourite in the kind of early 80s, Friday the 13th, The Prowler. Yeah, it's a, a, a just love it so much what did you think i loved it i thought it was great yeah i really really liked it um i also think that like the the parts of slashers from that era that normally irritate me like you know the kind of bro chat and stuff like that sure i generally find that stuff really quite wearying and i find it quite funny uh in this Mm -hmm. thought it ticked along quite nicely there weren't the same level of kind of like grotesquely unlikable characters Uh here as there are in some slashers i was still glad to see a lot of them die but like you know yeah no not the same level of like base level contempt i wouldn't say uh jason alexander (laughs) in this as well yeah jason alexander uh holly hunter and fisher stevens from short circuit this time not wearing brown face no thankfully i like this a lot i don't really have too much more to say about it than that i don't again i'm not gonna come on here in 2020 and tell everyone how great the burning is but i thought it was really good and it's like it's one that i've been meaning to catch up on for a while i also haven't really been getting the good of having the arrow video channel so it was nice to just dig in and watch something that's kind of like generally regarded as being a kind of classic um of its subgenre and i really yeah i really really liked it but yeah my main talking point this week i would say and we've spoken about it a little bit on the show since it's kind of arrived i've been meaning to get to it and i finally managed it this week i went on to shudder and checked out uh larkin finnegan's vivarium ah yes of course so what we have here i believe it's his second film i think he made something called without name in 2016 Right. Which I haven't seen, but uh, yeah, I did check out Vivarium this week. So it's on Shudder in the UK and I think pretty much everywhere else. You've got uh, Jesse Eisenberg and Imogen Poots here playing a couple who are looking for a place to live. They go and see this, ostensibly this realtor, who takes them to this kind of village or town or housing complex type place where all the houses look the same. Mm-hmm. They check it out. They seem to be like reasonably enamored with it. Not like sold, sold, but they're kind of like curious. It's Peter curiosity. The guy kind of disappears and when they try to leave, all the roads take them back around in a circle and they basically end up where they started. Mm-hmm. They very quickly realize that they are actually like stuck there and it's basically about how they exist there and how things escalate and worsen. Um, centering to a large extent around the fact that very early on in the film they there, there's and this isn't spoiling we're talking about first 20 minutes or so here a box is left at the house that they've kind of just de facto occupied and there's a baby inside it right and there's a note on it that basically says raise this baby and you'll be set free so they're like okay i'm not gonna get into it but the kid in this film completely redefines the notion of the cinematic creepy kid for me right? because he grows exponentially so you see him as like circa seven years old fairly early on and after i had been watching that for a couple of minutes i was like i actually can't believe how uncomfortable this is making me <laughs> like it's it's a, a genuinely like there are very few things that have wrought that reaction out of me in the last couple of years and this did this isn't a horror film i wouldn't say i think that it's like it's the kind of very very surgical very slow burning sci-fi that certainly has some very very dark elements in it everyone is great in it i really like the style of it it's not going to be for everyone i think that some people will probably find it too slow some people will probably find it too weird because there are things in it that are just kind of there and weird for the sake of weird if you like sure however i think that like you've kind of got to let yourself try and get on board with it early doors and i think that if you can like i say not everyone will there's an awful lot to get out of it i i really really loved it actually it's probably one of the better films i've seen this year i would say probably up there with uh stuff like the vast night that i've gone crazy about in sure. the previous episodes 
Yeah, Vivarium's on Shutter now. I really, really enjoyed it. But like I say, I would not necessarily... like. I'd be very careful about who I recommended it to, but I thought it was great. There we go. Brilliant. Thank you, Mitch. Mitch, what's he since from the 90s? Yeah, as we get towards the end game of the 90s side quest, I dug in this week and uh, went for a kind of a strange one, kind of like a mid-level thing, I would say. Not a massive title, not a weird obscurity like a graveyard story or anything like that. I watched When a Stranger Calls Back. Oh, right, okay, cool. So, obviously, um, follow-up to When a Stranger Calls from 1979. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carol Kane is back. The director, Fred Walton's back. Mm-hmm. It's a made-for-cable sequel. Yes. Uh, that was released in 1993. It's accessible in the UK and Amazon Prime. Or in the box set with uh, When a Stranger Calls from Second Sight. Oh, nice. Okay, cool, yeah. like um. So, obviously... I've seen When a Stranger Calls, and I know mm-hmm. that it's widely regarded as having this incredible opening 20 minutes or so, and it goes kind of off the boil after that. Yeah. So I think that When a Stranger Calls Back is better than it has the right to be for a made-for-cable sequel to something that is arriving 14 years after the original. Like, on paper, that sets a few alarm bells ringing for me. Sure, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, th- I actually thought this was pretty good, acting solid. Story's okay, but I think that ultimately the problem that I have with this is the same problem that I have with When a Stranger Calls. I think that the opening segment is really strong, mm-hmm. really tight, really good for um, suspense. It's really good at kind of sowing seeds of uncertainty in your head about what's going on. But similarly, uh, when this actually has to get out of the set piece and start being a story, the further it gets away from the opening set piece, the worse it gets. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree. That opening set piece in this one where the guy's like, oh, did you phone the automobile club? Uh, I, I think that's really, really good. It's really, really strong, I think. Um, but yeah, ultimately, it doesn't make it over the line for me, and that is kind of ultimately why. But not a waste of time by any manner of means either. No, I would agree. I would agree. It's, there's a lot to a lot to recommend in it, and I think uh, it doesn't get anywhere near as much love as When a Stranger Calls does. There's not really much to separate them massively, including, like I say, I think that ultimately uh, they're both kind of undone by the same shortcomings. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, also just while we're talking about things that are going on this week, very quickly, just want to mention that uh, I want to say hello and big congratulations to our pal Jill Gavargazian. Yes, yeah. Uh, world premiere of the stylist last night at Fantastic Fest. So huge congratulations for that. Seems like the uh, reception to that has been very positive, which was kind of what we were expecting. Yeah, I can't wait to see this. Yeah, also been announced for the lineup for Celluloid Screams in the UK as well, which is great news. So yeah, big well done to Jill and uh, realistically. She's is going to be appearing soon for Anaconda 4. We all know that. <laughs> of course, yeah. We need to round that torture out. <laughs> I would say so. So. Yeah. What have they been saying? Feedback time, and they have been saying loads this oh, week. Man. In fact, so much that I can't possibly start getting through all of it, but we'll get to that in a sec. First and foremost, I want to say a big thank you to executive producer and writer of Host, uh, Mr. Jed Shepard, joining us this week. Uh, we were talking Teen Witch, um, which was a controversial choice, I think, um, in the eyes of a few people. Um, and a little bit of an opinion divider, I think it's fair to say. But um, lots of people getting in touch about it. I want to say hello to Hanny underscore Ray on Twitter. Yeah, hi, Hannah. Uh, she got in touch saying, you've inspired me to give Teen Witch a try. So far, I agree with the sax intro points. Um, she got to the end and said, I'm not sure I would have realised the ramifications of the lottery win teacher when the spell broke as a kid. Dark. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, one of my favourite parts of that conversation actually was uh, musing on the dark futures of all the characters once all the spells break. <laughs> I can really see her, like Jed said, running away and having to live in the woods because she has caused untold carnage in that town. She really has, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Ricky Munga getting in touch on Facebook just to say, we like boys, we like boys. Uh-huh, the, one, of, one of the film's more inexplicable musical moments. <laughs> 
It's absolutely great, though. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to fight you on that point. It's a masterpiece. <laughs> Andy McCartan saying that he paused the episode now and might have to watch the film later as he's never seen it. Andy, let oh. us know what you thought, if you actually got there, if you got over the line with it. I love that. Uh, Mr. Barlow on Twitter, a possible new person alert there, actually, at Mr. Kurt underscore Barlow. Watching this made me reevaluate how I may have acted towards my older sister when we were young. Uh, obviously, hopefully not too much like Richie. Yep. <laughs> Please, uh, please don't be anything like Richie. No one wants to be Richie. Definitely not, no. Weird, compulsively masticating man-child. <laughs> James Patrick Duffy. Uh, not a fan, I'm afraid. Found this bafflingly painful as a cinematic experience. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, okay. I just want to give a quick shout-out to James as well, because uh, last night, we, me, you and James got together on zoom and watched killer sofa oh my god and all of you have to watch killer sofa now as well on amazon prime the most engaging cinematic villain i've seen in a long time my favorite horror villain of 2020 is the sofa from killer sofa (laughs) hands down it's not even a competition moving on and staying with teen witch though kian o'brien coming up very much on the other side of the coin from james he simply says teen witch is a complete anomaly and has no right to be as great as it is um, he says, I have to thank yourselves and Jed Shepard because without you doing the episode, I don't think I would ever have welcomed it into my world. That's more like it. Yeah, that's a warm experience that's going to stay with you, Keen. It certainly seems that way, doesn't it? Which I'm very into. Uh, do you have anything else on uh, Team Witch? Because I have loads. Oh, tons. I- I've got to say, I feel like we've got peaks and troughs here, Mitch. Okay. Saltire Popcorn. At Saltire Popcorn. Kevin getting in touch. Yeah, that film was the worst thing I've seen since Two Girls, One Cup. <laughs> um... Get off that fence. <laughs> that's harsh. I uh, wouldn't have time to listen to the show until Sunday, probably, but very interested in the case for the defence. Oh, I mean, it's a unanimous defence, Kevin. Like, it's a, you're, like you, what you're going to be listening to is a roundtable discussion of three people who all think that Teen Witch is the absolute fucking business. <laughs> Elsewhere, uh, sticking with Teen Witch, though, and uh, heading back to Facebook, uh, Laura Bynan with Cardiff heading for another lockdown. Guess I'll have time to watch before listening. I don't believe that we've heard back on how that worked out for Laura, but would be very interested to know, of course. Um, Lauren McIntyre, Dr. Lauren, why in these films do teenagers always want to go fuck in a gross, dirty house? Great question. No well, idea. It's not the best, and presumably, presumably, I can't speak too much about Louise and Louise's proclivities, but presumably this interaction that she has with Brad in this house is her first time. Yeah, presumably, yeah. Oh, God, that's bleak, isn't it? Can't imagine that's going to be too memorable when you also throw into the fact that she's tricked him into it. Aye, yeah, oh, God, none of that sits right, really, does it? Best forgotten. I would say so. Um, Saying hello to Andrew Barron as well, uh, who got in touch uh, with some trivia for us. Now, we did talk about the fact that there was a mountain of horror connections in this film. Mm -hmm. The cast are at least tangentially linked to a lot of people who have done kind of pretty notable things in the horror world however andrew caught one that we missed uh there's another decent horror connection to this episode joshua john miller who plays the obnoxious young brother was also homer the diminutive vampire boy in Catherine bigelow's near dark oh yeah of course so there you go big thank you to andrew who um is bringing it with the um facts and anecdotes i would say and the feedback these days see this is what it's all about mitch this is it exactly have you got anything else on team witch I do. Cosmic Ray Girl getting in touch to say another great episode, guys. Wonder what Kolak thinks of the rapping in Teen Witch, and she's thrown it over to Canel. Canel hasn't watched it yet, or certainly at the time of this tweet hadn't watched it, and uh, Canel was saying he's going to struggle with it. He's not ready. 
rapping in movies is something I really struggle with because most of the time some scriptwriter who's never rapped before or even spoke to a rapper thinks they are fully qualified to write acceptable bars on their first go. This is next level stuff though, Canelo. This is like game changing. I get the distinct impression that it's going to make him furious, but I would be quite interested to know. Um, just before we move on from Team Witch, I want to say a quick hello also. We got um, a shout out from uh, our old pal Andre Gower. Oh yeah. This week on Twitter, um, also tagging in Robin Lively, uh, who played Louise, of course, in the tweet, although we've not heard from her just yet. You know what we should do, Mitch? We should try to get a, a kind of live watch-along, a team witch together with Robin. Now you're talking. <laughs> Definitely. 100%. Um, that is my lot on um, team witch, but I'm actually just realising the extent to which that has dominated my feedback this week. <laughs> I've got a couple of other little things. Okay, on you go. Dan Popomatic at Dan Popomatic got in touch to say, listening to the Strong Violent PC episode about the Bye Bye Man. Of course, that was our uh, first ever Irredeemables episode, which we kind of made available to everyone. The Irredeemables, of course, now Patreon exclusive. I know I've seen this mm-hmm. film, but nothing they're saying about what happens is ringing any bells. <laughs> Funny stuff though. That that's the thing about the bye bye man. It's a total void. Yeah. Um. David S. Smith got in touch. Uh. In response to that tweet and basically said the same thing. He was kind of like, oh, it's the it's the kind of film that you kind of start forgetting about before it's over. Yeah. Your attention wanders almost immediately with the bye bye man. It is the least engaging film. Yeah. No. It's it's drivel. It really is. I want to just mention really quickly that the uh, conversation in the Chad Locker in general this week has been really really lively, but it's not really the kind of stuff that you want to dig into and read out loads of. Right. Um, but it's just been really nice to see everybody interact with each other, and I think that we should just let that be that. But um, people have been, like Stevie posted in there, asking people to list their top 16 horror films, and loads of people did it. James Duffy got in there asking everybody what their top three films they would defend would be if they were guests on the show. Loads of people did that as well. So, yeah, like I said, I don't want to dig in line by line and read all of that, and I also don't want to leave anyone out, but I just want to say thank you to everybody for being so cool this week. Yeah, guys, thank you so much. I know I don't get to see it very often, but I hear, I hear things. Yeah, it's 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 a really great thing, and uh, and we really do appreciate it. Um, I have just the one more thing to mention, um, and it's quite a cool thing. Uh, we've got um Rob Thorpe getting in touch on Twitter. That's RJ Thorpe eighty on Twitter tagging in Matt Glasby. Mm. Uh, Matt Glasby obviously joining us a couple of weeks back for our episode on Split Second, while he was promoting his book, The Book of Horror. And Rob just posted a picture of the book and letting Matt know that he had bought it after he'd heard him on the show, which is a really cool thing. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, if anyone else is kind of bought anything off the back of listening to an episode or anything that we've discussed with a guest has kind of piqued your interest into actually hunting down stuff let us know because that's that's cool to know yeah um i just want to say hi to stevie film fan stevie to round out my feedback okay and this one seems timely given that we're about to come on to mitch's pitches last week's pitch image of course you flipped it back on me because it was your birthday and you got me to do the pitch last week um, the image was for Invasion of the Bee Girls. Yes, that's right. Yep. Yeah, which I uh, renamed as The Honey Trap. Stevie Walsh. You did indeed. It was very good. Yeah, well, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, blush. By the way, do you just want, do you, do you just want to introduce the segment because we're here now? Uh, sure. It's Mitch's Pitches! You were saying? Yeah, so Invasion of the Bee Girls was the poster last week. Uh, Stevie went on Amazon Prime and watched it. <laughs> his, uh, his thoughts are as follows. That's an hour and 25 minutes I'll never get back. I've seen some truly awful films. This one certainly takes the biscuit, or in this case, the honey. Oh, for God's sake. Again, Stevie doing the Lord's work so we don't have to. Yeah, absolutely. Stevie throwing himself on cinematic grenades left, right and (laughs) centre. 
I doff my hat to you, sir. As do I. As do I. However, yes, we are in Mitch's Pitches territory now. Mitch's Pitches is a feature on the show that is designed to exploit my ignorance for your entertainment. While we're recording, Andy will send a picture to my phone. It will be a poster from a horror film from years gone by. He will have photoshopped out the title on the tagline and any identifying text and leave only the image. It will fall to me, as always, to describe the image to the best of my ability and give it a title and a synopsis. So last week, as you mentioned, uh, we flipped it on you. It was Invasion of the B-Girls. And uh, you, somewhat ingeniously, I would say, uh, reappropriated that as the honey trap with a very, very funny synopsis, in my humble opinion. Um, we do have some uh, some really good ones this week, I must say, actually. So just to very quickly dig into some of those so you can uh, get a winner chosen or winners chosen. Sure, fire away. Uh, Hanny underscore Ray on Twitter. Be nice is a sultry undercover agent tasked with infiltrating a drug smuggling ring masquerading as a honey farm and strip club. But this honey trap turns into a more sticky situation than she expects in 1964's Buzzkill, the hive of villainy. <laughs> lovely um andy mccartan keeping it topical from last week babs bountiful was making a beeline for bellini and more specifically the secret north of the border base of her arch nemesis bertha day bane as a sultry leader of the vixen six she and her scantily clad sisters of justice must infiltrate bane's base and sink his plans to take over the podcasting world by giving second chances to films that might not deserve them <laughs> intenting quarantinos shameless 2020 lockdown action ripoff the tartan terror versus tangerine tata towel temptresses <laughs> Going in hard on the tongue twister stuff there, Andy. Yeah, big fan of that, Andy. More of that, please. A couple more. Instagram got CP Buckley. Uh-huh. While on the set of the 1970s spy spoof, The Man Who Shot Another Man, <laughs> <laughs> lead, act- lead actor Armand DeSante finds himself in hot water when someone starts killing off casting crew members. Now Armand and bit part actress Jenny Rick must find the killer and finish the shoot in time with an ever-diminishing crew. It's the 1986 screwball slasher The Act of Murder. Cameras and heads will roll. Oh, lovely. Lovely. By the way, that's a great name for a film. What, the man who shot another man? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. That genuinely, like, I, that really got me when I read it the first time. And a first-time pitcher and a first-time contributor, I believe, James Rodders Rodriguez, oh. um, who started listening in the last few weeks. Sid James plays John Bear, an agent captured by the dangerous group Hive. Armed with only a gun and a green suit, he's intent on bringing down their operations from the inside, stopping their plans involving seducing law enforcement, driving into bins, and having sex with jet engines. <laughs> <laughs> he won't stop until he's taken down the Queen Bee. It seems John Bear will be breaking out in hives. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's the pick of the bunch this week. If you want to pick a best pitch and a best character name. I'm going to give the best pitch to James Rodriguez. Uh, fair. First, a first-time contributor and first-time winner. I uh, wasn't won over by a lot of the names, I have to say. But I'm going to give the best name to the film, The Man Who Shot Another Man. Uh, yes, I'm, I'm delighted with that. Very, very you happy. Know, you know, sometimes you see like um, like foreign translations of film titles. Yes. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That's what that sounds like. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Yeah, that's a good shout. So big congratulations to uh, James and CP. You are this week's winners. Um, so it's my turn, I guess. Yeah. Um, are you ready? Oh, go on. <laughs> I'm sorry in advance for this. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> right, okay. Um, right, fine. Okay, so I don't think that it's fair to say that there's really a border to this image. Uh, 
not because it's a weird shape. Yeah, there's like it's a black background and there's a white line, but it does it. It's not like a like a regular border. It kind of veers in at the bottom. Um, <laughs> but a couple of things going on here. Uh, we have in the foreground of the image a man wearing a short sleeved shirt, or at least the sleeves are rolled up on his shirt. He is holding a handgun and pointing it just to the viewer's right. He has got a swipe of the Bruce Campbells about him a little bit actually. Uh, this is um, Richard Jekyll, by the way. He was in Baywatch. Okay, okay, I did not know that. In the very background of the image, we have a police car that looks like it is either crashing or landing in water potentially actually certainly it's it's like it's it's not a standard issue driving on a road moment for sure uh-huh. however i think it's fair to say that the focal point of the image is an older gray-haired man he's got gray hair but a very lush head of hair i would say mm, very shiny um, he's yeah very shiny he's um wearing a white shirt with short sleeves kind of like a button-up like you would wear at your work he is sitting in a wheelchair that has been fairly elaborately decked out with uh guns like very long kind of like like the barrel of a shotgun like very very long that is discharging um and you can see something coming out of the gun there presumably a bullet and also a cloud of smoke yes yeah and it's fair to say much that he has a pretty severe look in his face he looks uh he looks business focused i would say that that's true yeah i'd say whatever's going on is requiring all of his attention um so there you go for uh so man points gun uh car crashes either on the road or in the water and uh menacing looking man in extremely pimped out wheelchair discharges a firearm (laughs) lovely thank you very much rich okay i'll need a minute of course of course Now, when I saw this image, it's actually an image I've tossed around for a while, but when I first saw it, I thought, can I do this? And it's taken me... I think it's more, can I do this, really? Yeah, well, true, true. Uh, I would say it's taken me conservatively 18 months to pluck up the courage to do this. Okay, um, so well, I'm, 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 I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and keep this... Uh, I'm going to try and keep this PG. <laughs> that doesn't necessarily mean that it's not going to be offensive. Well, leave it with me. I'll see what I can do. Okay. How's it going? Um, uh, yeah, this is taking a minute, I must say. Right, okay. Are you happy? No, but okay. <laughs> I'm not happy you've put me in this position, Andy. Yeah, pretty much. Um, okay. The year is 2054. <laughs> Decades of excessive carbon emissions have ripped a hole in the ozone layer, and mankind must act quickly to prevent widespread global destruction. In a swift and decisive move, President Barron Trump signs an executive order (laughs) banning all personal transport, vastly reducing pollution, but also bringing to a sad end the era of the car chase. With the instant decline of the American auto industry leading to a recession everyone should really have seen coming, crime rates skyrocket, and in the face of unprecedented volumes of unsolved murders, assaults, and robberies, the police force in the town of Fort Plain see a wave of resignations. With numbers heavily depleted and the town in the grips of a crime wave, Commissioner Chuck Pebbles must, for the first time in two decades, take to the streets himself to take out the trash. However, as a result of both the elimination of police vehicles and his bad diet and sedentary lifestyle, Pebbles finds himself far too unfit to effectively pursue the perps. With no time to enter into a long-form fitness regime, Police Department gadget man Edmund Sparky McBrain has the answer. A state-of-the-art motorised wheelchair, complete with firearms, turbo boost, trigger-operated lasso, ejector seat, automated handcuff deployment and emergency donut compartment. Freshly re-energised and ready to single-handedly rid the town of criminal scum, look on in amazement as the establishment rashly resorts to punitive physical punishment rather than attempting to fix a broken socio-economic climate in 1993's futuristic tech thriller Pebbles Dash, Wheels of Justice. I've got to say, the most offensive thing about that whole pitch match was the suggestion that you would install an ejector seat on a wheelchair. 
<laughs> I think I did all right there, to be fair. Yeah, he skirted round the, the key issues with the image with great dexterity and deafness. Thanks very much, I appreciate that. <laughs> so I guess it's time for me to hear the truth. What is this and who is synopsizing? I can tell you right now, the synopsis doesn't have a name attached to it, but it's almost so bad I don't want to read the title. Uh, but I will, I okay. will. I'm here now. Um, what year did you say? 93. Oh, well, it's 1978. Oh, right, okay. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and the film is The Amazing Mr. No Legs. What? <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, okay, right, okay. What's the synopsis? Um, the synopsis of The Amazing Mr. No Legs is as follows. Heads roll as two cops, Chuck and Andy, go against Mr. D'Angelo, the biggest drug dealer in Florida, and his ruthless enforcer, Fred, who has no legs, but does have two mean double-barrel shotguns built into his wheelchair. Good lord. Okay, although, um, did you just say that one of the cops is called Chuck? I did. Well, mine was called Chuck Pebbles. There you go. And Andy. I'll take a half point for that. That's me. That concludes Bitches Bitches for this week. That image is everywhere for better or worse. If you want to get in touch, then you can do it through all the usual channels. Sure. Please don't add us on this. Um, moving on to the streaming platforms for this week. So loads of good stuff, as you can probably imagine, as we enter into October. Yeah, yeah. Decent amount going on, although once again, not that I could see on Amazon Prime, uh, but you never know with Amazon Prime. I think they're, like things tend to crop up at a day's notice in there, but you do have a new episode of The Boys, if that's your thing. Cool, thanks. Um, elsewhere on Netflix on October 1st this week then, which I believe is Thursday. A um, few things coming, we've got Paranormal Activity 4, um, picking up five years after the bloody events of the third film. Its chilling successor relates a new wave of mysterious suburban horrors. I would say that as the sequels for this go, I think that this is okay, but not scary by any manner of means. Yeah, I don't even think I remember anything about Paranormal Activity 4. It's fine. Uh, got The Conjuring. Also, based on true events, this film from director James Wan tells the story of a New England family who begin having encounters with spirits in their farmhouse. As you know, I don't particularly like the Oneverse. A lot of time for The Conjuring films. This mm-hmm. is good. Yeah. Uh, the Friday the 13th remake lands as well. It's fine. Okay. Also, um, for something that's maybe like a little bit more PG and a little bit more kind of family-oriented, we've got uh, Adam's Family Values. Siblings at Wednesday and Pugsley Adams will stop at nothing to get rid of Pubert, the new baby boy adored by parents Gomez and Morticia. And Corpse Bride, just as he's about to be married, Victor is sucked into the underworld by a Corpse Bride who desires him for herself in this Tim Burton tale. Also on October 1st, Smoky Series alert, Andy. Oh. We've got season one of Good Morning Veronica. While hunting for a dating site predator, an underused cop discovers a husband and wife with a horrific secret and a web of conspiracy hiding it. Oh my. And on October 2nd, we've got an Italian production there, The Binding. Uh, while visiting her fiancé's mother in southern Italy, a woman must fight the mysterious and malevolent curse intent on claiming her daughter. Now TV then, just the one on September 29th. Uh, so that's tomorrow if you're listening to this on air date. Open 24 hours. A paranoid woman gets a job at an all-night gas station in this Fright Fest favourite from her former guest and friend, Patrick Reynolds. Yeah, yeah, I've been looking forward to seeing this. Yeah, well, you can, from Tuesday. Also on uh, Shudder, on September 30th, we've got Jennifer Kent's The Babadook. A single mother, plagued by the violent death of her husband, battles with her son's fear of a monster lurking in the house, but soon discovers a sinister presence all around her. And on October 1st, as we mentioned earlier, scare me. During a power outage, two strangers tell scary stories. The more Fred and Fanny commit to their tales, the more they come to life in this cabin in the 
the Catskills. The horrors of reality manifest when Fred confronts his ultimate fear. Fanny may be the better storyteller. So that's your lot for this week. I would say for a pick, The Conjuring's pretty great. Corpse Bride's pretty great. Um, but I'm going to say open 24 hours. Support indie film. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's certainly the one that I'm most interested to see. Yeah, go check that out. Turning our attentions then to this week's show. And uh, we do have another guest this week. Brag. <laughs> um, you know what we said that we were going to do an entire month of guests in September. And it seems like, without jinxing it, we've now done it. Our guest this week is a writer for Total Film. Yes. It is Mr. Tim Coleman. Yes, and I've got to say much. Well, I've got to say two things. One, the first one being... Grow your beard back because I saw you last night on Zoom and it's 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 strange. Uh, yeah, I don't like it either. I forgot that I don't like the bottom half of my face. I need to set about hiding it again. <laughs> Secondly, what I'll tell you is the film that we're doing is 1990s killer baboon film, Shackma. Yes, now, Shackma. Now, this is interesting because it's two weeks in a row that the film has been first watches for you. Yes, yes, that's right. Which is pretty cool. Um, if you want to check this out in the UK, then you can get it on Amazon Prime. I'm um, unsure about availability everywhere else, but yeah, Amazon Prime in the UK. This sounds amazing, honestly. Um, the blurb, the IMDb synopsis for this is students are trapped with a testy baboon while playing a fantasy game in a research building. Yeah, yeah. Strong, strong anticipation levels for this one. So Tim Coleman of Total Film joins us this week to talk Shackma. How are you feeling about that? You can get in touch through all the usual channels if you want to let us know. Facebook and Instagram are Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us as well at Strong Violent PC. You can email Scenes at gmail.com and you can interact with other listeners on our Facebook group, The Chud Locker. Yes, and check out our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash Strong Language Violent Scenes. Now, you may have noticed, if you are already a patron, that we are trying to arrange a patrons-only watch-along. Uh, there's a poll up there just now for the best date and platform. Uh, if you could go along and just uh, have a little look, chuck your vote across, and uh, yeah, we'll, we're trying to get something lined up so we can all have a ruddy good time and watch presumably something terrible. Definitely, that's the plan. So yeah, uh, get along and check that out, and maybe just have a scan of the tears if you haven't checked it out already. We will be back this Friday talking Shackma with Tim Coleman. Join us then if you can. In the meantime, don't forget, it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chuds. Goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean.